Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Amen, indeed. Well, welcome again. My name is Mark, if we've not yet had the opportunity to meet, and I want to thank you for being here and making worship a part of your New Year's resolutions. <laughs> anyway, uh, it is a common preacher joke this time of year, especially this, this first Sunday of the New Year, to tell you that you have perfect attendance in worship. And I want to challenge you to keep it up for the entire year. I think back to when I was in high school, uh, I had, well, earlier in my life, and my mom's here this morning, she can tell you, I was, uh, um, I was a preeminent hypochondriac. And until we got to high school, and I really found out that I enjoyed certain parts of it. I enjoyed uh, taking my guitar to the lunch period uh, and uh, playing it and trying to uh, woo some of the pretty young ladies there. And I always give them a little guitar pick here and there. Uh, I enjoyed, that's a true story, I enjoyed uh, singing in the uh, performing arts program at Pebble Brook High School. I just I loved it. I enjoyed it. Uh, and so I think, if I'm not mistaken, I only missed like one or two days in my entire four years of high school. It was an amazing thing. And it's amazing what happens when you see that there's something there of value for you. And I hope and I pray that when you think about worshiping God and being a part of his family known as the church here at Hope Church in Dallas, Georgia, that you see that there's something of value that you need to receive, but also, hear this, the church needs to receive from you. This is like a symbiotic relationship, so to speak. We need each other, and the church is incomplete if you're not here. And so, uh, that is my joke and my challenge to you as we kick off 2024, uh, to see if you can get as close to perfect attendance this year as absolutely possible. We are kicking off a new series today entitled, True Virtue. I sort of alluded to this uh, around our Christmas Eve and our New Year's Eve services. We, we are moving into an election year, and we're really already here, and already the divisions are starting, right? We have been a very polarized society for a decade or so, but right now it just seems like it is continuing to do that spinal tap and turning it up to 11, right? It just feels like we are constantly being bombarded with reasons we need to disagree with, to dislike, uh, or whatever, somebody else. Those divisions, that is not of Christ not of the gospel. And so what we're going to be doing this first month of the year is looking at aspects of true virtue in a culture that is trying to tear us apart because what Christ is trying to do is to bring us together and to unite us together and to strengthen us and to mobilize us and to deploy us into the community, into this sick and warped culture so that we can be a representation of God's love and God's hope and God's peace in a world that is so desperately in need of it. We saw that little video there, the little um, bumper intro video about what is cancel culture. And today's topic is honor and the cancel culture. Now, the basic definition of 
cancel culture, this comes from the pop culture definition, pop culture dictionary, I'm sorry, of cancel culture, is the popular practice of withdrawing support or canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Objectionable or offensive. That is the pop culture definition of cancel culture. Now, it originated... And we've really seen it building in, say, the last 10 years or so. It originates with something called critical theory that is taught in law schools. I think it really began in the legal realm. You've probably heard of things like critical race theory or critical gender theory or critical legal theory. The whole idea about this critical theory, whatever goes in the middle, is that there are power differentials between people in the world. And sometimes look at this in terms of race or sexual identity or gender or practices, things like that. There are power differentials in life. And so when critical theory emerges, what it does is it tries to, to shine a light on those power differentials. Now, in essence, at the generalist basic sense of that, I can't really necessarily say there's anything wrong with that as long as we are making sure we are following our biblical mandate to take care of the oppressed, to take care of the weak, to take care of the vulnerable. So that is very much a part of our Christian life and ministry to be mindful of the weak and the powerless and the vulnerable and those who are the oppressors and those who are trying to divide and separate. That is part of our Christian mandate. But as is all things, we see it get corrupted, don't we? We see it get corrupted to the point where, as we saw in our preview video, that when we see these divisions, we try to make the divisions greater. And I'm just using we in kind of a generalized sense, right? But what's happening in, in critical theory is we try to make these divisions even greater as opposed to bringing them together. And cancel culture is the tool that has been used to drive that wedge large enough that a semi could drive through it, so to speak. Cancel culture is what is used to tell people that not just your behavior is objectionable or offensive, but you are objectionable or offensive. That's the idea that we see that we are now being lumped into not just who we are, but what it is that we've done or what we've said. And as it seems with cancel culture, there's no limit to how far back one must go. I can think of my own life. As much as I try to live with virtue, I can think back to 10, 15, 20 years ago, going back to high school, when I was guilty of doing some things that would have gotten me canceled if I had social media in those days. Right? Is there anyone in this room, anyone, who would not have said or done or joked or some, worn something that would be considered to be objectionable or offensive by standards today if we did them, say, a generation ago. There's not a single soul in this room. Now, some of you who are under 25, same generation, okay, 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 I get it. But the reality is, is that none of us are immune to this. And this is why we see that this is absolutely incompatible with the gospel. Because cancel culture isn't the answer. Grace is the answer. Grace is the answer to cancel culture. Right? What is grace? Grace is that unmerited, means you haven't earned it. It's the love of God that God gives us in spite of ourselves. And we are called to live grace-filled lives, 
in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with others. Yes, I made the sign of the cross, right? Our vertical life, our life with God, our horizontal life, our life with the other people. We are called to live grace-filled lives. And so this brings us back to this whole, whole idea of cancel culture because of what we see in Colossians chapter 2, right around verse 14, where it says that God canceled your indebtedness. It gives me chills thinking about it. I haven't done a Jesus jig in a while, right? God canceled your indebtedness. But then Paul goes on to say something even more emphatically so. It's not just that he canceled it. He nailed it to the cross, making a spectacle of it, a public spectacle of it, to say that you are forgiven. You can be redeemed because your sinfulness, your reasons for being canceled, are nailed to the cross with Jesus. They are yours no longer. Jesus took them himself. He buried them in the tomb. And he left them there when he walked out on the third day. Friends, grace is the answer to cancel culture. Every single one of us has done something worthy of being canceled in this cancel culture. And with this theory that continues to try to drive a wedge in us, between us, Republican, Democrat, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, straight, gay, whatever, all of these divisions, rich, poor, all of these divisions, Toyota drivers and Tesla drivers, right? <laughs> Tries to say you are not worthy if you are one over the other. And folks, we can't pay any attention to that. We can't give that kind of stuff lip service. We can't do it. And so what we need to do, we need to hold on to this idea that grace is the answer to cancel culture. Grace, again, as I've said, is that love of God that you cannot earn, you do not deserve. He gives it to you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He is. And because of what Jesus did for you and for me and all the world on the cross. When he took our sins there so God could cancel them and make a public spectacle out of them to say, this is how far I am willing to go to show you how much I love you. Grace is the answer to cancel culture. And so if grace is the answer to cancel culture, then that means we are called to live lives of honor, as the word is used in the scripture. We are called to live lives of honor. Our first verse for today comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 10, reading from the New International Version, where it says, Be devoted to one another in what? In love. Honor one another above yourselves. So the key and the connection that we see here is that we honor one another with what? With love. Love being another word for grace. Love is how we show honor to one another. What does honor do? Honor tries to build up, right? What does cancel culture try to do? Tear down. Honor tries to glorify. What does cancel culture try to do? Tear it down. Honor seeks to also forgive and restore. What does cancel culture seek to do? Hold grudges, right? And tear down. You see the difference in how honor and the cancel culture is so counterintuitive because we are called to love one another, to build each other up, to be devoted to one another, to find unity. Whereas cancel culture says you need to find divisions and you need to maximize those divisions. You need to enhance those divisions, shine a brighter light on them. What the scripture tells us is that when we shine a light on something, it reveals 
and it convicts, convicts. Not convicts as in terms of throwing someone in jail, but it says, oh my goodness. It causes me to be self-reflective. It causes me to think, where have I gone wrong in the past? Where do I need to seek forgiveness? Where do I need to be devoted to somebody else and to show the love of God and the love of others? Because that ultimately is what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, right? To love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we are called to honor one another with love, to seek to build up, not tear down, to seek to raise up, not tear down, to seek to hold closely, not to drive away. The scripture gives us basically four things that we are called to live lives of honor into. So there are basically four things we are called to honor according to scripture. The first, of course, is what? God, that's right. The first thing we are called to honor is God. Joshua chapter 7 verse 19. This is where we see the prophet say, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Honor God. We are called to honor God. Now, how are we called to honor God? With our life, with the totality of our life, right? Cancel culture seeks to define, delineate. Grace seems to bring us together. And so, I want you to look at this from a totality point of view, is that you are called to honor God with your very life. With everything. With all that you have and all that you are. In other words, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors similarly. So, when we're thinking about honoring God with our life, one of the first things that we are called to honor God with is our resources, right? Our resources. Time. Are you honoring God with your time? Are you spending time with God every single day? And not just once a day, multiple times a day. Are you honoring God with your time? Are you also honoring God with your energy? Do you make sure that you are in the best possible position you could be when you go to pray to God, first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Now, sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I, I like to pray at night, but sometimes I fall asleep praying, and, and I like to say, well, what better place could there be to fall asleep in the arms of the Savior, right? Honor God with your time. But it also means to honor God with your money. The way that you spend your time and your energy and your money reveals what your priorities are, right? You can say your priorities are worshiping God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if all of your money goes to other things, right? Or even the majority of your money goes to other things, are you really truly honoring God? Now, this doesn't just mean giving money to the church, but it's also how do you spend your money on the things that you entertain yourself with? Are these things that bring honor to God or to other people? Are these things that honor your commitments to others in the life? Or are you looking for divisions? Honoring God with your money is critically important. All of this can be summed up into honoring God with your worship, right? We all have a throne in our heart, so to speak, and something is going to sit upon the top of it. Something is going to be the ruler of your heart. You get to choose who or what that is. If it's anything other than God, the Bible calls that idolatry. Idolatry, giving something worship and devotion other than God that is not deserved and not earned. So we are called to give honor to God with our time, our energy, our money, our worship, our totality of life and living. The second thing to which we are called to give honor is our parents, right? 
Look at this verse from the Ten Commandments. It says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. Okay, so we see here another aspect and element of grace, right? What is it that God is doing? He's giving, right? God is giving us the land in which we live, and so we are called to honor our father and our mother. We're called to honor our parents. Now, I understand that not everyone has parents that are honorable. Does that absolve us from honoring our parents regardless? Say no. The reason that is is because of this. This is the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments that is tied and connected with the promise. That when we honor our parents, even if they are dishonorable, if we honor our parents, that is a reflection more on who we are than who they are. That is the model that God gives us. God saves us. He redeems us. He loves us not based on who we are, but on who he is. He is. This is one of those key components to honor, is it is based on who we are, our own sense of integrity. That's going to be another one of our topics in our True Virtue series this month. So we are called to honor our parents. The third thing that we are called to honor is our authorities. Now, folks, sometimes we find this easier to do than others, don't we? We are called to honor our authorities. In Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul goes on this uh, writing spree about why it is and how it is that God established our authorities to have control over the, the public and the population and that they have a special level of accountability to God. So you see this in Romans chapter 13 verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, before you start saying that we have some dishonorable politicians, I agree, right? Absolutely. And there are times and things that we see in the news, we see all kinds of corruption in the government, in the world, and we say, I can't honor that. God doesn't want you to honor the, corrupt, the corruption. God wants you to honor the authorities because... We all are accountable to God. Again, this doesn't say that our honor given to a particular politician has anything to do with them. It has to do with us, right? This is about getting our life right, getting our priorities in order, making sure that we are honoring God with all that we have and all that we are. Now, of course, there are some times that this is an absolute gut-wrenching struggle isn't it? But when we make our priority about honoring God, then what we see is that there's accountability for all of us. You see, accountability is a major part and component of honor. You and I are accountable to God for our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our words, we all are accountable to God. And even our authorities, our parents, when they do, do dishonorable things, they are also accountable to God. I can remember being back in grade school and really wasn't an issue for me, but uh, there were always other kids who were needling and picking and, you know, all that other kind of stuff, just real busy kids. And someone wanted to tattletale and teach you to say, you worry about, you worry about yourself, Right? What about yourself first? 
This is what God is saying. Not in a way where we look at ourselves and we rise ourselves above everybody, raise ourselves above everybody, and then start making divisions and delineations in a cancer culture kind of way, but to say, God, I am committing my life to you. All that I am and all, not all that I am, all that I am and all that I turkey, I'm doing it all for you. Uh, sorry. All that I am and all that I have, I give to you, Lord God, because I honor you. And this is where I want my heart and my soul to be, about putting God first and letting everything else fall into place, basking in his grace and his mercy that he gives to all of us. And the fourth thing that we are called to honor, I know this is self-serving, but it comes from the scripture, it's your spiritual leaders, right? Our spiritual leaders. This verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. I've never been God. Sometimes in mind, I have to wrestle with that. I am a parent. I've never been a political authority, but I've been a spiritual leader for the vast majority of my life. It didn't happen when I was ordained. It didn't happen when I took my first church. According to my mom, it happened when I was in first grade with a little kid named Donnie. Donnie was the kid in school who had no friends. He was the kid in school who had no hygiene. He was the kid in school who had nothing. No money. Nothing. And I made a decision, seven-year-old Mark, maybe six at the time, I don't know. I was going to be Donnie's friend. And I found in Donnie a fantastic friend. I found in Donnie the most generous soul. I found in Donnie one of the purest hearts I'd ever known. Donnie lived in a mobile home park not too far from the house where we grew up. And Donnie eventually moved away and we lost touch. And gosh, it's probably been 40 years or longer since I've had any contact with Donnie. But mom said she knew at that moment that I was being called and raised to be a spiritual leader. Now, here's another little thing. We were not in the church. Not in the church at all. We didn't start going to church until I was in middle school. But there was something that I always knew was there. Some of my friends would accuse me of talking to myself. And maybe I did. But I would have conversations with myself as though I knew there was someone there to hear me. And it reminds me of that beautiful Helen Keller quote that before she learned about the gospel, she knew there was something there. And so, when she finally learned about the gospel and she accepted Christ as her personal Lord and Savior, her response was, I knew there was someone there, I just did not know his name. And I felt that way. And we just did start going to church, and I got involved in the youth group, and I developed a huge crush on a girl and all this other stuff. It wasn't until later... And those were the reasons I went. Much like talking about in high school, right? Those are the reasons I went to church. But it wasn't until later when I began to see how God was connecting those dots in my life. From talking as though I knew there was someone there to hear me before I even knew about God and prayer. 
to befriending the last, the least, and the lost because that person needed a friend. And before I could learn how many books are in the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, how many caves are in Habakkuk, before I learned all that stuff, I had to see who I was. But not just in the virtue of Mark as a kid, but in the lack of virtue as well. Now, friends, before I deceive you into thinking or believing that I was more than I was as a kid, I was a kid. I told little white lies. They were little. I promise, Mom, they were little. I dishonored my parents. Got the biggest whooping of my life doing that one time. Thinking I could outrun my dad after kicking my mom. Yeah. I stole from my brother. I did all kinds of terrible things. Pay the consequences too. But the gospel that convicted me, that I strive to live into today, is the gospel that says, Mark, I know about all of those times when you were not a good friend. I know about all of those times when you were greedy and not generous. I know all of those times when you were dishonorable. You were self-centered, self-righteous even. But I love you anyway. He said, the scripture tells us that we are not to just pay lip service to God. We are to honor God with all that we have and all that we are. That comes from a verse out of Matthew. We are called to honor God, not just with our lips, but with our hearts. And some of that requires us, my friends, to come clean and clear with those times when we have fallen short of the glory of God, where we have told lies, where we betrayed our friends, when we've dishonored our parents, when we have been stingy instead of generous, when we've done all of these things that are antithetical to our ministry in the world. And I'm not talking about clergy persons. I'm talking about everybody. We all have a ministry to make God real and personal in someone's life. And so we need to live with honor. That comes to say, I'm going to be devoted to God and to God's people. I'm going to come clean in those times to confession when I have fallen short of God's glory. And I'm going to confess my need for a Savior. And in that confession, I'm going to find that God freely gives us His grace. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. There's a common refrain that preachers use. I've used it from time to time myself. This is, God knows your sin but chooses to call you by name. The devil knows your name, but chooses to call you by your sin. With whom do you want to saddle up your life? The Savior. The one who cancels our sins. The one who nails them to the cross to make a public spectacle. Not of our sinfulness, which is what cancel culture wants to do, but of our salvation, the redemption of the world. So that when we take even our 
forgiven lives back out into the world, people will say, Ah, but I knew you back when. I knew you when you were one of those greedy, lying, dishonorable, you know, <laughs> corrupted people. I really want to say lying dog face pony, pony soldier. That's, that's really what I wanted to say. I knew you back when you were lying dog face pony soldier. But God says, I know you who you are, not because of who you are, because of who I am. And so, my friends, as we bring this message to a close, there are a couple don'ts I want to make sure that we pay close attention to today. The first don't is don't just give God lip service. God knows what is in your life and God knows what is in your heart. He knows the times you've gotten it right and he knows the times you've gotten it wrong. He knows the times when you've told the truth when it was hard and when you lied when it was easy, when you were stingy because it was easy and when you were generous because it was hard. God knows all these things. And so give God your whole life, right? Your time, your energy, your money, your worship. Give it to God. Don't just give it lip service. And the second thing I don't want you to do is to treat God as common or ordinary. Because my friends... When we do that, we also find ourselves treating pieces and parts of God create God's creation as common and ordinary. You are uncommon and you are extraordinary. Just like God is uncommon and God is extraordinary, there's no one like God in the world. And because of that, and because of the way God knit you together, there is no one like you in this world either. And I pray that you will not deprive the church or the world of the specialness that you are, that God has placed within your life. I pray that you will not deprive the church or the world with the uniqueness that is you. Uncommon and extraordinary. Corrupted? Perhaps. Warped? Almost certainly. But forgiven redeemed, restored. And for that, my friends, we can be truly thankful. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.